Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, my guest is a CMO who I've got so much admiration for. His marketing is so dead on and so in tune with what I'm looking for as a marketer myself. He's marketing to me. We're actually a customer of Gong, and today's guest is Udi Lettergore. Udi and I have known each other for the years. We've done a number of webinars, but this was an opportunity to go really deep to understand how he's gotten to this level. And I was actually amazed to know that he hasn't run a marketing organization at this scale before. You would think he has if you've ever seen any of his content or seen him talk or give advice. But Udi is very vulnerable in talking about how he's scaled this organization to over seven billion dollars in value, over 1,200 employees, 60 of which are marketers, and some of the challenges and realities you get to at each stage where you may doubt yourself, but you're able to go deeper. And he goes deeper into this conversation talking about go-to-market strategy. The second half, we dig into what it takes to market in a downturn. This is an area that I've been really curious about, and he gives us three specific examples for your product team, your sales and CS team, and ultimately your marketing team, and how you can act now to make a change. So let's jump in now to my conversation with Udi. Thank you so much for finding time. I'm excited. We have chatted on many podcasts, webinars, but this is going to be all about you and your go-to-market. So let's dig in with how you found yourself at Gong, because Gong is a fantastic story. This company is worth $7 billion plus now, and you were marketer number one? That's correct, and I'm excited to be back on a podcast with you, Randy. Thanks for having me again. My, my story of finding Gong is, is actually a little unusual. Our CEO, Amit, and I have worked together at three different companies now. We started working together at a company called Click Software in the late 90s. And yeah, most of our, your listeners probably weren't even born then. Um, <laughs> and we were not teenagers at the time, I can assure you. So we worked at a company called Click Software, where Amit was the CMO. And I was, I was managing a help desk at the time, if I remember correctly. <laughs> and fast forward a good 10 years, Amit had just taken on another CMO role at a brand new startup called Panaya. And I happened to come across him uh, when I was looking for my next opportunity. And he said, I'm, I'm looking to build a marketing team here. Come be my, my sidekick, my right-hand man which I did, and I joined him at Panaya, and we had uh, four wonderful years there together, after which he left to take on his first CEO role, and I stayed on a little bit longer. Uh, so that was the second time uh, we worked together, and I reported to him directly for, for a good number of years. Fast forward six years, or whatever the number was, uh, but in, in 2016, uh, Amit called me and said, Udi, remember the crazy idea I told you about six months ago? So we built the product, we rolled it out to 12 beta customers and 11 of them became paying customers within three months. So I think we have early product market fit and I want to start marketing the heck out of this. Are you up for it? And I said, of course, what have you been waiting for? 
So I dropped everything I was doing and uh, joined Gong as employee number 13 and marketer number one. And that was uh, just a little over six years ago. As you recap that, I'm curious, there's obviously comfort between you and Amit, um, but there's also this desire to do something that you're passionate about. And, you know, a lot of the marketing that you do, I feel, is you speaking as a user and a customer yourself. So what was it about Amit's pitch? Was it the comfort of working with them, as you said, multiple times? Or in this case, was it the solution that you were excited about? So, so you, you touched on a great combination of two, and I'll, I'll add, or actually all three you touched on, which is which is wonderful. So I get asked this multiple times a week by candidates that I'm interviewing for various roles. They ask me, what, what brought you to Gong? And I said it was a combination of three things. One was leadership, and after the story I just told, uh, I don't think I need to add much more to that one. I would follow up anywhere. Two is the product. When I saw the first very basic, ugly version of the product, my jaw dropped because I realized this could change an entire industry. It's those one in a generation products that is just like nothing you've ever seen before. And I remember being skeptic when Amit told me about the initial idea when he didn't even have a slide deck. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like an amazing dream, but is the technology even there? Can it be built? And then six months later, he calls me that they built it, or at least the first early version of it. So the product was completely awe-inspiring, and I, still, I think it still is to those who, who are exposed to it for the first time. And then the third thing you also touched on, which is our buyer persona. I've been a marketing leader at five different companies, and I've, I've advised dozens of others. And I, I'm always at my best when I can truly get into the shoes of my buyer persona. If I use the product or if I'm close enough to the buyer persona, it's so much easier to understand what their day looks like, how we can provide value, what does it look like, how is it differentiated, why they should care, uh, versus trying to sell to a user who's far removed from my own persona. And I've, I've done those, but I don't feel I've been at my best doing those. So absolutely selling to salespeople or marketing to salespeople is a lot of fun. People ask me what's different about that persona compared to others. And my answer is they, they don't hold back. You get instant feedback. If they love what you're doing, they will screenshot it and share with the world. But guess what? If they hate what you're doing, they will also screenshot it and share with the rest of the world. So in any case, you win because you get instant feedback and you're not left wondering how my latest campaign landed. That's great. And and without plugging Gong too much here, I'll tell you, my my team uses it and they're definitely the ones screen, screenshotting for the good. So I want, I want to shift to, to a different element of becoming the CMO at Gong. And instead of that comfort that Amit had to bring you in, how have you maintained your comfort of being in the role and tackling what's next? Because, you know, in comparison, you gave the example of Panaya, which you told me at one point scaled to about 40 million in revenue. And, and that's no easy feat. That's very different than a company that scales to 7.25 billion in value this past year. What is it, 3,500 customers at this stage? I mean- That, that is about right, yes. Is, is there been a stage where you've said, am I still the right guy? Yes, yes, there have. To be completely honest, there, there have and you know, n none of us are, are born or hopefully don't die within a role, right? I don't want one of those people that they find at my desk one morning uh, after I've passed away. <laughs> but um, th there are definitely areas of the business where I'm really enjoying scaling and learning along the way. And there are areas where, where I'm, I'm starting to feel out of my depth or that I have to bring someone in to complement my weaknesses. 
or I'm just not passionate about taking to the level that we need next, even if I know what some of that might look like. So I, I think very, very few leaders can come in and stay a role for 10 plus years. It, it's hardly the case for, for senior roles like this. And it is very, very different being a marketing leader for a company of zero to five or zero to 10 or zero to 100 million versus taking company to the billions and, and beyond. And so I'm still very excited about where the business uh, is going. I think I'm, I'm still doing a decent job of, of running marketing and, and the team. Uh, but like, like everything, it probably won't last forever. Yeah, I, I appreciate you being so open about that response and vulnerable. Who are you able to speak to as the company scales to get advice for those areas, that, as you say, that you know feel out of reach? But you seem to tackle, at least from an outsider's perspective, I think a lot of people have respect for you. So is is that working Better with you? Better than believing marketing, right, Randy? We're buying in here. So is, is that buying? Is that finding time with a board member, a mentor? What is that combination of resources that you've surrounded yourself to get to this stage? Yeah. So first, we we have starting within Gong, we have some amazing people, right? Um, our our own CEO Amit uh, is still probably the the sharpest thinking marketer I know. So when I get a chance and I and I and I have a topic to discuss, like like this morning, I just knock on his door or, or virtual Zoom door and we have a chat and I'm like, hey, I'm struggling with this piece of positioning. Here's what's happening in the market. Here's where our teams are not feeling right. What, what do you think? And he'll always have a fresh perspective and always get straight to the point with, with the, some of the sharpest thinking that I've ever, I've ever seen in my life. So um, that, that's an amazing resource. We now have folks, you know, over the years, we brought in folks like our president, uh, Kelly Breslin Wright and, our CRO, Ryan Longfield, and other folks who have seen go-to-market teams go to the next level of scale. You know, Kelly was the EVP of sales at uh, Tableau when they were selling 800 million a year. And Ryan was at LinkedIn running a business of hundreds of millions of dollars a year in, in talent solutions. So th these people have seen a lot and they've worked with marketing and sometimes they have perspective of what they've seen done and work. and. At the very least, they can connect me with the marketers that they worked with at that scale, which I chat with and learn about what they did in situations like this and how they thought about it. And then finally, uh, you're also right about the board. We're very lucky to have board members like Carl Eschenbach from uh, Sequoia, uh, Darmesh from uh, Battery, uh, Gina from, from ServiceNow, and they, they have all operated at amazing scale and, and still do. And they, they pretty much know everyone in the world that you wanna tap. So they both make introductions to me from earlier stage startup CMOs who want to learn uh, from someone who's seen the road ahead of them. And, and they're always happy to make the connections uh, that I asked for as well. So th those are awesome resources to have. That is an amazing group to be surrounded by. And, you know, as you were describing it, it's, it's exciting. It's overwhelming. It, it's a matter of also prioritizing, I'm sure, because you got a lot of work to do. I'm just curious just to get into the weeds for a moment though there, how many times a week or a month are you tapping someone for this type of advice? Is this more boardroom setting discussions or is this something that you've built into your own cadence? No, I, I wouldn't do this at the boardroom. Um, I, I'm close enough to all of our board members to call or, or email them um, anytime I need. And they do the same, like they, they'll text me. Board members, uh, I, I forgot to metro, mention uh, Dro Nahumi from uh, Norwest Ventures as well. He's a great board member and 
he often asks for my help and I'll, I'll occasionally ask for his as well. Uh, so we're, we're on that sort of personal name basis, which I think you, you sort of earn that trust. And uh, it can be daunting in the early days. You're like, oh my gosh, there's the board. They're like the big bosses and we've got to make sure everything looks perfect to them and, and they're going to scrutinize everything we do. But but no, they're actually there to help. They're, they're here to ensure that you and the company are successful. You're not there to impress them. Um, then you can actually get a lot more out of that relationship. So if I need something from Carl, I will email him and he always responds like within an hour. I have no idea how he does that, but I, I wish I could respond as fast as my board members do, but he will always respond in an hour. And some of them like drawer, they'll usually just text me with a, with an ask and I'll respond quickly. So that that's kind of how, how we do that. I will say I've, I've found some ways of, of scaling the help that I give the, the younger startups because uh, at some point it, it did file, it did start feeling like an abuse on my time between um, all of our board members' requests that I speak to their early stage CMOs on a one-on-one -on -one basis, and just my own network of friends and family. Like everyone has a startup somewhere, and they could all use some marketing advice. So I, I started learning how to say no a lot more, and I started actively consolidating a lot of the requests. So an example is um, I, I work both with our own board members funds. And I'm also an investor in, in several seed funds and they all wanna hear from experienced CMOs. So I say, here's the deal. I will come on once a quarter. I will do a one hour, ask me anything session, bring all of your CMOs at once. You can gather the questions ahead of time or do it live. And I will answer all we have time for. And that way they're still getting a lot of the value that they would have gotten in a one-on-one -on -one situation. But instead of putting 30 hours in it, I'm putting one hour good on you to continue to give that advice and prioritize it. But as you said, making sure it's scalable and making sure that you can manage. And, and I love doing it. I'm, it's not that I don't enjoy, I love doing this. I honestly, I probably do one to three of these every single week. One to three sessions I give every single week, like podcasts that we're doing now to share information. I, I love sharing the opportunities that I had for growth and the success that we had. And I don't think there's anything secret about our marketing strategy, it's its getting the execution right. That's where most folks and teams fail. Uh, so I'm happy to share all the information that I that I have. But as you said, uh, and guest, I, I have to be protective of my time as well. Uh, otherwise, I won't get my day job done. Well, you've teed up the second part of our podcast perfectly. We'll take a quick break here. Then we'll talk about your go-to-market strategy on the buyer journey segment with Udi. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. What makes Udi so endearing is that combination of confidence and that he's quite humble. As you can hear, he talks about getting to a point where he's doubted if he can make that next step. 
Now, in my opinion, he has, but he's done so by surrounding himself with people who are trusted, who are knowledgeable, and who can help him take that big next step in his career. And I encourage you to make sure you have that mentorship around you, whether you're in a specialist role, a VP role, or a CMO role, we always need that person that we can sit down and get some perspective from. For me, I often will call on Alyssa Fink, who's on my board, one time was the CMO of Tableau and scaled to levels far beyond where I've been today. Having that perspective from her, but also tuning into the rest of my network as Udi does, is a great way to continue to challenge yourself. To be honest, the perspectives I get from the guests on this podcast perhaps is the biggest way I get to challenge myself every week. So Udi, you have been able to grow this company during fantastic times for the market, but right now it is less than fantastic times. It is scary times for a lot of marketers, regardless of what industry you may be in. What are the, some of the things that you've approached your role or approached your go-to-market that are changing? So I, I'm not as young and handsome as you, uh, Randy. So I have actually led marketing or, or worked through quite a few downturns. Um, I was I was at Click Software with Amit during the 2000, year 2000 dot-com bubble burst, if you believe. And then um, in 2008, uh, I was, I had to leave one company because of the crisis and started another one. And then uh, just a couple of years ago, we all had COVID, which was kind of a mini downturn, definitely not a recession in, in economic terms, but we had a mini downturn. And so that's still very fresh in our minds and playbooks. And we're now adapting some of the things that we saw work back then to what's happening right now, which everyone is suffering from and nobody is immune to, uh, to be clear. I think I would touch on three things that we're doing in the product and go-to-market team. And obviously there's more to do in the people team and there's more to do in the finance team, but given that our listeners are probably marketers and other go-to-market folks, I'll just focus on these three key areas of product, sales, and marketing. So I, I would start in product. And what we immediately look to do in product when when the market changes, by the way, it could be a good or bad change. You, you can't ignore changes, but especially when they're bad, you wanna see A, is there something that we can quickly prioritize or do in product that our customers need more than ever now? So one example during COVID that we did in product is we realized teams were quickly moving from working in the office to working remotely. And we thought, okay, a lot is changing in their lives. How can we make it a little bit easier for them? And then we realized that managers of say commercial sales teams or SDRs, they were used to operating in an office environment where they could eavesdrop on what everyone's doing. They know what everyone's working on. They had a lot of visibility that they suddenly lost overnight when everyone went remote. So we developed a feature called Team View that showed the frontline managers what each of their team members were working on hour by hour, which opportunities they were touching on, what are their blank spots in their day look like. And that gave a ton of visibility and, and some peace of mind to the frontline managers uh, to make their transition from in-office to remote life just a little bit easier. So that, that's one example that we did through COVID. Now in this uh, market downturn, our product team came up with a feature called Economy Pulse. And Economy Pulse is giving teams, you guessed it again, a dose of reality or visibility into what conversations they're having with customers about the economy and how are those 
conversations impacting win rates. And that is to separate the noise that is happening on every sales floor right now. Everyone's complaining that it's hard and it, and it really is, but sometimes it's not hard in the exact areas where you're hearing people screaming. Sometimes it's the quiet ones that are actually having an objectively harder time. And it's not showing up equally in every industry, in every geography, in every sales team. And so with Economy Pulse, you can get a manager's view of which conversations are bringing up economy. How is that trending up or down since last month? Where is that showing up in different geographies and different segments? And how is that impacting win rates? And with that, you can get to a much better forecast. You can focus on coaching the teams who need it most, et cetera, et cetera. So these are some things that a good product team will do. They'll look into what's changed in the market. What can we prioritize to give the market what they need right now? And then number two is in sales and customer success. I'll lump them together for a minute here because you want to take care of your customers. And of course, uh, you want to take care of your prospects so that they become customers. So you will look at highlighting things that your customers are looking for most right now. Um, I'll give an example. Gong, Gong has several use cases. It, it's helpful for any go-to-market team. But there are things that you want to highlight when it's an up market and there's things, or what's a, a market with lots of business. And there are things you want to highlight differently when we're in a down market like now. So uh, one example would be um, in good times, our salespeople will often highlight how helpful Gong is for onboarding new sales reps. We actually slash the onboarding time by 50% or more for some customers. It's an amazing benefit unless you're not hiring anyone right now. Right. So that would be a total waste of time and it would fall on deaf ears if we tried to pitch that now. So that is off the script right now. Instead, we're talking about how you can do more with less because you're probably either in a hiring pause or a slowdown or a freeze or maybe maybe even had to let people go. So you absolutely want to make sure that you're getting the most out of every person on your team and you make them very, very successful. And here's how Gong can help you do that. That's interesting. I'm curious on that in terms of who leads that charge from a messaging and positioning adjustment. Is that something, and, and especially given the realities of, of having Gong yourself and being able to listen to see what's resonating and what's not on some of these elements, but is that coming from the sales team in terms of what they're gonna pitch or is that coming from marketing or is that you and your CRO who you mentioned earlier sitting down and trying to think through this? So it's, it's, a, it's a great topic and it, it is, it is a combination of all of the above because when when things change in, in such a major way that we can't ignore it, we definitely have an ELT team discussion about it, right? So the, the executive leadership team will sit and say, okay, this is what's changing. Uh, this is what we're seeing. And then of course we refer to Gong for that dose of reality and we can look into specific calls. If we wanna get the, the micro, we can look at specific calls and see how people are talking about the economy or they're freezing uh, hiring or they're laying off people or what they're trying to do with budgets. And we can also look at the macro, for example, how many calls or what percentage of calls mentioned the economy three months ago versus last week. And, and then things look a little bit less scary than, than you imagine because when you, know, when you have five bad sales calls in a week, those salespeople are gonna be screaming and crying a lot about it as they should to get management's attention. But then you look at the macro and like, okay, we went from like 1% of calls to 2.5% of calls. Yes, that's a, that's a big increase. It's, it's more than double, but it's still a tiny percent of the calls that are talking about the economy. So it's not that it's on everyone's mind right now. And, and those numbers were, were true for a couple of months ago. Obviously, it's a little bit higher now. And so 
at, at the end of the day, I think sales and CS are the ones who are closest to the customer every single day. So their opinion absolutely matters and they have a great intuition for what's going to land and not. And then the product marketing team is usually the one who will work together with them to put together the updated narrative of what's working and what's not. And if, if you got a chance to see the, the post I, I posted last week of how we use Gong to roll out new messaging, uh, that's an amazing use case. Um, but we use Gong not only to measure the adoption of new decks and messaging to the field, because I can see in real time, today if we had 100 sales calls, I know that 78 of them use the new deck and 22 I need to go talk to uh, because they're still using the old deck. Gong picks that <laughs> up. Gong actually reads the slides in the call. So it tells me what they're using, what they're saying. So that's number one. And number two, I know how the win rates are being impacted by those using the new deck versus the old deck. And we found that the, the those using the new deck have a, let's call it 40% higher win rate than those using the old deck. So I can go talk to their manager and say, you must be crazy not making everyone use this because you're, you're leaving money on the table. So that's kind of what the process looks like. I love that. I, and, and not just love the detail at which you're able to look at this, but the speed at which you're changing because you know, I, I think we've seen this in companies that are as small as 20 people to, in your case, I, I believe it's over 1,200 people uh, that, that is now the team of Gong. Right. To make some of these shifts when the market's changing, many companies, it, it can take six months. And by that point, it's too late. Your competitors have shifted. The market has shifted. You're absolutely right. You know, for years, we've had uh, our eight operating principles at Gong. They're all on our website. And one of them is coming up more and more in the last few months. And that one is act now. And by act now, we're, we're talking about working with the data that you have. And we, we have several frameworks for decision making at Gong. I'm happy to go into those at some point if we have time or in a future interview. But um, the idea behind it is that you don't always have to wait to gather all the information and, and get everyone's opinion, let alone everyone's consensus, but act now. And at Gong, you never get into trouble for acting now. Make a call. And you know if, if you're going to sell the company, you might want to consult with someone. But short of that, make a call on anything reasonable within your domain of authority and, and responsibilities and move forward. And then if it doesn't work, we'll talk about it. But you're far better off acting now and being biased for action. And there's plenty of research out there from McKinsey and others who have looked at companies who did not do well after a market downturn. And those are not the ones that didn't have the funds. They're not the ones that didn't have a good product. They're not even the, fun, the ones that didn't have a good team. It's the ones who were too slow to adapt and change to what was happening. And they had competitors who did that faster. And those competitors who did it faster oftentimes are the one with less money, so they couldn't afford to, afford to just weather the storm. They actually had to do something to survive or they would die. And we're following in those footsteps. We're always trying to be the fastest ones to adapt and be agile and change as the market demands of us, because those are the companies who not only survive the downturn, they also thrive coming out. Well, that act now, I, I think, captures those first two examples you gave, both on product and, and some of those tweaks that really connect with customers and then the, that sales deck. I, I know I took you into the weeds, but we've got about a minute here. I think you had a third bucket for how to adapt. Yeah, the, the, third, the third is marketing. So some of the messaging stuff I already touched on. Um, the other is really continuing the mission of seeing what our customers need from us most right now and giving them just that. So it could be in the form of 
content marketing. It could be in the form of event content. You know, when we went into COVID, two big changes that we made very, very quickly were one, we switched from in-person events to virtual events. We didn't wait six months or 12 months like most companies did. We'll just sit out. We have our playbook for in-person events. We'll just sit and wait and see what happens. Well, they, they didn't do very well because events didn't come back for two years. We took two weeks to put on our first virtual event from the day the mayor of San Francisco shut down the city and all the businesses had to start working remotely. Within two weeks, we put on our first event. We didn't know anything about pulling off a virtual event, but we said, what's the worst that can happen? Not many people will show up. The, the Zoom will break once or twice. It wasn't Zoom, it was hopping. Uh, we pulled it off and guess what? We had over a thousand people show up and I was like, wow, this shit works. We, we should do this more often. And then we, we kicked off a series of quarterly virtual events that kept those lead engagements during COVID while everyone else was still sitting back waiting for in-person events to come back. So we didn't wait, we moved on that. Um, in the content world, I, I don't believe in long-term content calendars. I think, not to quote the, the interesting name of your book, but forget that long-term content marketing, focus on what your audience needs now. And if the market looks very different from what you planned it to be six months ago, just scrap all that stuff that you prepared and give the market what they need now. I'll, I'll give one last tangible example. In the beginning of COVID, we saw that even small deals were going through the CFOs for approvals because they were clutching onto their wallets. So we quickly pulled together a piece of content of how to get through your buyer's CFO, and that rose to the top of our download charts as the number one downloaded piece of content. It took two days to put together. This was not a three months project, let's go do something complicated and plan. No, we just sat down for two days and wrote a piece of content. And that became the most downloadable piece of content. And now, as you can guess, we're putting out content about how the economy is affecting buyers and how the economy is affecting marketing, and people are eating it up. The, the Gong Labs piece that we put out a couple of weeks ago on the Economic Pulse showed a huge increase in website traffic and in conversions of people who want to see the product as a result of reading our thought leadership on what's happening in the economy and how that's affecting buyers. I love that last example. I, I mean, you spoke right to me in terms of, you know, the importance of putting the right content in front of the right buyer at the right time is, as you often talk about it, what does your buyer want to hear from you? And I, I think that mentality of understanding who you're selling to, in that case, the CFO may not be someone you're always selling to, but that new buyer now needs their own set of campaigns, their own approach versus everyone else you may typically be able to approach or get away with. So I think that's a great example. And all three of those in terms of the product changes, sales and CS, marketing, all of those, it, it all seems to revolve around moving quickly and as you said, acting now. Speaking of now, we're gonna take one more quick break, then we will be back with some more rapid fire questions for Udi here on The Marketer's Journey. I'll be honest, I did not expect that Udi would offer to go into the challenges of scaling marketing. I mean, if you look at Gong, they're a company that's growing at over 100% year over year. But for many of us, these times are uncertain. And even at Gong, you've heard how he's had to adapt their go-to-market. Adjusting your go-to-market flow is key in any change. We experienced this in a pandemic, and now we're gonna experience it again as the economy is so uncertain. What I did earlier this year was 
reach out as we've heard to do to people in my network. People like Alyssa Fink, who I mentioned earlier, people like Peter Isaacson, Brian Cardin, Megan Eisenberg. These are CMOs who have been there, done that, and provided some amazing perspective on how to market in a downturn. If you wanna check this out, you can go to the Uberflip hub and navigate to the section. It's at hub.uberflip.com slash marketing in a downturn. When you get there, you will find great perspectives from some fantastic CMOs who have been there, adjusted, and come out on top. I'm confident that you can do the same. We are back here on the marketer's journey. Udi, this has really been a blast. We've hit on your career. We've hit on the buyer's journey. Now I want to kind of mesh those together with a few questions for you. My first is thinking about the next CMO. Maybe it's someone who you've worked with in your career, who's on your team today. What is the right path for that individual? Is it more of that T-shaped marketer where they learn a very specific skill or is it very much a generalist? I have problems with the generalist concept. I would say that that T-shaped marketer is probably your best bet. Become really, really good at at least one domain. Nobody can be good at 20. It just cannot be done. So don't try and get really, really good at one thing. Two other things to keep in mind is one, the CMO and, and even a senior director or VP position has to have both the analytics side down as well as some creativity and out of the box thinking. So you have to manage both of those. And two, you have to learn how to operate at both altitudes of the tactical execution, because if you can't do that, you don't know what to look for in the people that you hire and manage. And two, you've got to have that strategic altitude of seeing the big picture, seeing beyond the current quarter, beyond the current year. Love that answer. Let's go to my next question. You hit on a great example of great content for the right buyer, the example with the CFO earlier. But what content for you actually gets you to click when someone's trying to sell to you? What is it that stands out? The more personalized, the higher the chance I will actually click on it. You know, I've, I've had good examples sent to me of people who actually read the book I wrote on trade shows and quoted something in it and used that in a believable way to drive to what they're trying to share with me and what they want to do for me. And, and I had to acknowledge that, at least for the effort. So even if the offer was irrelevant, any SDR will tell you they love getting a no rather than just waiting for an answer and spending energy on 20 more touch points. So even if it was a no, I, I took the courtesy to get back to them and thank them for their outreach, telling them it was great, but it's not a good offer. So personalize it, show me that you know me, and make sure, make sure you do the homework. Uh, the, the most annoying emails that I won't respond to is someone asking me who on my team is responsible for something that's not even marketing, like recruiting. Like, geez, don't you have a LinkedIn account? Like, go figure this out. If, if you can do this, why would I want to do business with you? Let's say I, I love that and, and I couldn't agree more. So let's just dig quickly on this idea of personalization because you, you hit that out of the gate as what makes content connect with you. But a lot of what you talked about personalizing is kind of the preamble. What about the content itself needs to be personalized? How personalized do you expect the content to be today? I expect it to be very, very personalized. If, if someone's quoting me accounts they've worked with and they're like an oil and gas in Uzbekistan, I'm not gonna be impressed. That's just a very, very lazy template that they use. There's no way anyone in their right mind actually thought that that would be a good reference customer for me to be impressed by. 
So I expect the reference customers to be in my industry, in my geography, at my growth stage. If they actually name drop people that they know I know, that I either know personally or that I respect because they're in my industry or a leader or I've worked with before, that would impress me. Okay, if they say, "Hey, I used to work with Amit, your CMO, and at your CEO, and he said that, and he was great at that," I'm like, "Okay, th th this guy's for real. He actually took the time to to write a personalized email." If if I get the generic stuff, you know, you can almost see those tokens there of insert personal tidbit here. That that's not going to impress. I love that, I, and I couldn't agree more. I think getting down to what is gathered for the buyer is as important as you said that that preamble the combination of the two maybe even throwing in the name as generic as that is all of those elements together create personalization my last question for you often the toughest one uh you seem to be mastering this cmo thing at every level uh, as humble as you were about it getting difficult but how do you balance all of this with personal priorities that could be family that could be yourself how do you find that equation? Uh, I would say the two things that help me with that is one, ruthless time management. And my, my very, very simple system is that every single thing I need to get done in my personal or business life is on my calendar. And that means if I need to call someone, it'll be on my calendar at the time that I want to call them for the duration that I expect that call to take. And if I need to go to the gym in the afternoon, that'll be on my calendar. If I need to pick up the kids, that'll be on my calendar. And that makes the day way easier to manage because I just go through the calendar and do what the calendar says. And that also takes a huge headache off of me of having a to-do list, which I don't believe in. I do not have a to-do list. I don't think to-do lists work because they don't tell you when you need to do things, how long they're expected to take, what urgency or importance they have. And they're just so stressful. Every time you look at the to-do list, your eyes scanning those 24 things, you know you're never gonna get done. And that's extremely stressful. So I put everything on the calendar as soon as I realize it is a to-do. And that, that's one thing that helps me. The second thing, and I'll end on that, is that um, I try to go all in whatever I'm doing, especially if it's in my personal life. So when I'm at the gym, I will not read emails. I will not listen to podcasts. I will actually be at the gym and listen to the lousy music there and maybe chat with, with someone <laughs> lifting weights next to me. And when I'm playing with my children, I will never hold the phone in my hand. That is the most important thing. If you're with the children, it's not the quantity that counts, above a certain minimum, of course, but it is the quality of the time. And they, they will remember you being there, even if it's just to do a 10-minute puzzle without checking your phone every five minutes, because then it looks like you're there as a chore and not truly invested in it. I couldn't agree more. And as, as much as they'll remember when you're there, they'll also notice when you're on that 100%. phone. And there's nothing worse than them, than them saying, you know, could you put down your phone so we can hang out? you know, you've got to take that initiative. And I think those are great guardrails that you've put up for yourself. I love that time management. I feel like that's maybe you and Amit's next startup. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, anyways, it has been such a pleasure. If you've tuned in for the first time and heard Udi's chat, tune in and check out all the other amazing CMOs who have been on this podcast. I'm very lucky to speak to them. One day, hopefully I'll be lucky to speak to you and hear how your journey is taking shape. Thanks so much for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.